Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Amen. Thank you, Jill. Good morning, everyone. Today we are continuing our series on the parables. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the unforgiving servant or the parable of the two debtors. So today is all about forgiveness. And forgiveness is a key topic if you are a human being living on planet Earth today, living life in community with other human beings. Forgiveness is vital because relational disputes are inevitable. Or as author Anne Lamott says, Earth is forgiveness school. (laughs) You might as well start at the dinner table, she says. That way you can do this work in comfortable pants. Because even if you have lived less than two years on this planet, chances are you will have had to learn to say that you are sorry. And you will have had to learn to accept forgiveness from someone else. And I say that with confidence as the proud parent of a not yet two-year-old. From pretty much the moment we experience life on earth, this stuff is inevitable. We have to learn to apologize and to forgive. In the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes, there's a great moment where Calvin says to his tiger friend Hobbes, I feel bad that I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. I'm sorry that I did it. Well, maybe you should apologize to her, Hobbes suggests. Calvin ponders this for a moment and replies, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. (laughs) Or in the immortal words of Sir Elton John, sometimes sorry seems to be the hardest word. But not to disagree with Sir Elton or Calvin and Hobbes this morning, but I do wonder whether the words I forgive you are in fact even more challenging words. Let's turn to Matthew 18. We're going to start at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, the context to this question here is significant because this um, this parable comes in the midst of a series of teachings where Jesus has been systematically walking his disciples through how to deal with challenging relationships. In fact, the chapter immediately before this is entitled Dealing with Sin in the Church. And so this is where Jesus is getting really practical about relational breakdown. And if you remember, Adam talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that You know, what do we do when frustrations and tensions and problems occur? And Adam reminded us that these will occur. They are a natural part of life in community. And so Jesus has been laying out this teaching of what we do. And so at this point, Peter is like, okay, Jesus, I hear you. Forgiveness is important to this whole new thing, this new church that we're starting. But like, let's get even more practical here. How much forgiveness, right? Like... How far do we go down this whole forgiveness route? 
Now, at this time, rabbis tended to teach that the magic number was three. You should forgive someone three times, and then you're off the hook if they carry on in their ways. Three times. And so when Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times do we have to do this? Is it seven times? He's like, doubled the number and then some. He thinks he's going straight to the top of the class. Smile on his face. Seven times? Does that sound good, Jesus? To which Jesus says, think again, Peter. <laughs> like Jesus so often says to our bright ideas. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. He goes on, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 minas was brought to him. Now, you'll remember last week, Pete talked about the mina. This mina or talent was an enormous sum of money. Now, there's debate as to the exact conversion of the measurement here, but one mina is thought to have been worth about 20 years of a typical laborer's earnings. One mina, 20 years. <laughs> okay, so you do the maths here. This guy owes 10,000 minas. That's 200,000 years worth of salary. It is an enormously hyperbolic sum of money that Jesus is using here in this story. And that's kind of the point. It's a bit like saying a servant came who owed a zillion pounds. It's an unpayable debt by any standards of measurement. Jesus goes on. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. A typical custom of the day. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, this is like a punchline in the story, right? I will pay back everything. Like, if he worked for the next 200,000 years, he's not going to pay back everything. Like, this is a, a punchline. And yet, the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But... When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarius was a typical day wage for a laborer. So this amount was about a hundred days' work. It is a debt, but it is a manageable, payable debt. Of course, nothing in comparison to the zillions that he has just been forgiven. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Same words. Although this man, in his case, very possible that he could and would pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. Now, of course, what are you not doing when you're in prison? Working to pay off a debt. So he can never repay the debt. This is lifetime imprisonment, no hope of parole. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. 
This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sisters from your heart. This is a big word from Jesus. This is a weighty word. What Jesus is saying here in this parable is that we are the man who has been forgiven the enormous unpayable debt. He's the king who forgives us. And when we are faced with a debtor ourselves, in other words, when we're faced with one another in our dispute, our ability or our inability to forgive is taken really seriously. Somehow, God's forgiveness of me is directly connected to my ability to forgive you. You could say that forgiveness was one of the watchwords of the Jesus movement right up until he's being crucified and nails are literally being driven into his hands and Jesus says the words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgiveness is right at the heartbeat of what it means to follow Jesus. Think about the prayer that Jesus taught us to say every single day. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then right in the middle, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against. Sorry, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What's crucial about the fact that forgiveness is in the Lord's prayer is that for Jesus, forgiveness is a daily event, an everyday occurrence. He wanted us to be reminded of the practice of forgiveness every day as we prayed this. So let's dig into this parable a little bit more. We'll start with a little Bible trivia. Everyone's favorite Sunday morning activity, right? So Jesus tells his followers, he says, Peter, don't forgive seven times, forgive 77 times. Now, there are two places in the Bible where these numbers, 7 and 77, are used in parable, parallel like that. This parable is one of them. Does anyone know the other? Okay, the other instance of the 7 and the 77 happens way back in Genesis chapter 4. So right at the beginning of the story of humankind, we get Adam and Eve, we get the story of Cain, and you might remember Cain and his brother Abel basically have a dispute. Cain gets jealous of Abel and he goes out and he kills him. Now Cain's punishment for this is that he's expelled from the land, he's expelled from the place of safety, and he's worried that he's going to get killed. And so there's this deal written over his life which is if anyone tried to kill Cain, they would suffer vengeance seven times over. Okay, now a few generations later, we have Cain's great, great, great grandson, a guy called Lamech. Lamech is born, and it says he has two wives, and there's this moment where he writes a song for them. And I don't know if anyone here has seen the new Barbie movie. That was surprisingly underwhelming response, if you have seen it. But um, if you haven't, there's this moment where, um, this comedy moment where all the Kens start serenading all the Barbies. And it's comedy, they all pick up a guitar and they start singing this song to Barbie. And then the the, credits comes up at the bottom two hours later and they're all still going, singing their little song for all the Barbies who are, you know, 
Yes, we love this, being serenaded at. And it's this kind of joke that as a woman, we are at some point inevitably subjected to a man with a guitar <laughs> singing at us. It's just a fact of life. And it turns out from this scripture passage, this is a fact of life since literally the beginning of mankind. <laughs> okay? So we get Lamech, Lamech, and he's got two wives, and it says he sang this song to his wives. So picture the scene. He's singing to them, and he says this, and it turns out he's been attacked, and he, in a very macho Lamech way, attacked the guy back. He says this, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times, you guessed the punchline, Attack me, Lamech says, and you will receive retribution 77 times over. Now, what is happening here when Jesus is referring back to this obscure little song that this guy Lamech is singing to his two wives back in Genesis 4? What Jesus is doing here, he is saying that the land that we live in is the land of Cain and Lamech. It's Lamech's land. The human nature, he is saying, is bent towards human retribution, vengeance, and attack. That was our story, and that has been our story. But what Jesus is doing is he's teaching us a new way of being human. That part of scripture is about figuring out what it looks like to live in curse. This part of scripture is Jesus teaching us what it looks like to live in blessing. What is curse? Revenge. What is blessing? Forgiveness. Lamech's story is the age-old story of the spiral of revenge, right? You wrong me, I'll wrong you back. You hit me, I will hit you back harder. That is human nature. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God has now come and you are called to manifest a new way of being human, a colony of heaven here on earth. And he's saying that the sign of this new kind of human, humanity is forgiveness. Lamech wanted 77 times retribution. Jesus wants 77 times forgiveness. If Lamech was all about unbridled revenge, Jesus is all about unbridled mercy. Jesus is rewriting the story of broken humanity. And how is that repeating endless cycle of hurt, resentment, and vengeance broken? It's broken by a profound experience of forgiveness. We need to come face to face with the king who sees our shame, who sees our sin, who doesn't wait until we are deserving, but instead forgives us, sets us completely debt free. It is our forgiveness that empowers us to forgive each other. Do you know that you're forgiven today? Do you know that no matter your history, no matter your story, no matter your shame, there is a God who loves you with an unending love and who longs to draw you close and remind you once again that debt is forgiven. 
You are never going to be able to pay it back anyways. Stop trying. Your shame is gone. I see it no more. Only when we have encountered the unbridled mercy of God can we follow in the way of Jesus and offer unbridled mercy to others. This is the new kind of humanity that Jesus wants for us. Rewriting the story of Cain and of Lamech and of every human being since who wanted to just swing another punch, pay back in kind, hurt like we've been hurt. Jesus is inaugurating a people, a church who will stop the cycle, who will practice forgiveness every day, 70 times 70 times 70 times 70 and over again. What Jesus is doing here is really significant. One scholar said this, nothing puts us more out of step with Jesus than unforgiveness. Let that sink in for a moment. Because when we look at the world around us, when you look at the news, when you scroll your social media platforms, like the world is an unforgiving place. And if your main paradigm for how and when and how much you should forgive is subtly coming from like Grey's Anatomy or Game of Thrones or whatever else, instead of Jesus, it is going to be Lamech's land that you're living in. Jesus calls us, he says, a new kingdom has come. There is a new way of being human. Now, it's important to say here, and we don't have time to go into all the nuance of what forgiveness is not, but let me be very clear here that Jesus is not talking about tolerating abuse or staying in or putting yourself in a dangerous situation. He's asking you to forgive. He's not saying to stay in an unsafe situation. It is critical that we maintain healthy boundaries. And Henry Cloud's book on this is really excellent. Forgiveness doesn't always mean reunion either. Um, sometimes that's impossible or inappropriate or unsafe. Forgiveness doesn't have to mean reunion, but it does mean forgiveness. Forgiveness also does not mean becoming a doormat or allowing others to take advantage of you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Forgiveness allows us to move away from being a victim. You know, I think the greatest lie of unforgiveness is that it gives you power and control. And those are the things that we crave when we've been on the receiving end of an offence, when we've been made to feel powerless or disempowered. We want to claw back for power, just like Lamech. But here's the irony. Unforgiveness keeps you bound, not empowered. When we refuse to forgive someone, we continue to allow them control over us. The word forgiveness actually has the clue inside. When we forgive, we give it away. We don't have to carry it anymore or live under its burden. In contrast, the word resentment literally means to feel it again. Resentment, sent like sentient sentiment, re-feeling something over and over again. Resentment forces us to maintain that level of pain. 
Or as one philosopher said, forgiveness is when you set the prisoner free and you realize that the prisoner was you. When Bill Clinton first met Nelson Mandela, he asked him how he felt as he left the prison where he'd been held captive for 27 years for his role in demolishing apartheid in South Africa. Tell me the truth, says Clinton. When you were walking down the road that last time, didn't you hate them? Mandela replied, I did, and I am old enough to tell the truth. I felt hatred and fear, but I said to myself, if you hate them when you get into that car, you will still be their prisoner. I wanted to be free, so I let it go. People can take everything from you. They can take everything except your mind and your heart. Those things I decided not to give away. Wow. Forgiveness is not being a doormat or allowing others to control us. It's a way of setting ourselves free from the prison of resentment. Now, often in a talk on forgiveness, my mind kind of goes straight to the big moments of offense. You know, those life-altering things that we need to work through in counseling, those big moments, and those are significant. And if you have a big, painful wound like that, which you're continually battling to forgive, please do continue to seek help to process that. And also remember to listen, if you haven't already, to Isway's amazing talk um, on the Beatitudes series called Blessed Are the Merciful, where he talks about his journey to forgive his dad. Really beautiful, vulnerable, and powerful really helpful for those big moments. But it's also important that we're mindful of like daily forgiveness. That word is daily. I'm aware that daily doesn't always, um, uh, yeah, compute very well in my Irish accent. Daily forgiveness, this lifestyle of forgiveness, this everyday process of like just living lightly towards one another. The chapter before this was called Dealing with Sin in the Church. But what about like dealing with annoyance (laughs) in the church, right? Like what about those moments and those things where it's not like a sin issue, right? Like we're not going to pull the elders in and we're not going to go big on this. But, you know, if we're honest, like that just like rubbed me up the wrong way. And so, you know, I just like carried a little bit, you know, like Sally says something annoying to me and I'm like... That was annoying. Using Sally as an example, obviously, who never says anything annoying. <laughs> so she's the perfect example. But so I'm like, oh, Sally's done that. That's, and it, it kind of causes me to like just like go a little bit harder in my heart towards her. It's like starts a little bit of a tally so that next time when she does something, it's like becomes a thing, a pattern in my heart. My heart gets harder and harder. And then someone else I'm chatting to is like, oh, Sally, isn't she class? Don't you love Sally? And I'm like, Yes, yeah, she is, she is. Um, But, you know, there was this one time when she said this one thing, and suddenly this tally, we share it with someone else. And why do we do that? Like, why do we do that? I think because unforgiveness, like, it tastes kind of good sometimes. You know, like, it's like we like to linger in that. And I think that's because it's the old way of being human. It's really hard to shake off sometimes. There's this, there's this kind of feeling of control and one-upmanship that's, like, really hard to just shake off. But what that is, is it's unforgiveness of that moment. 
and it's not dealing with it, and it's allowing it to just build up. So maybe it's not the like massive moments of like working through stuff with a parent, but maybe it's just like your brother-in-law does something to bug you. And I have so many of those around, <laughs> around in Guildford. There's loads of them. And it's just those little moments. And how do we live practicing daily forgiveness? How do we just not allow ourselves resentment? Because resentment is a form of vengeance, right? It's a lot less obvious than the chokehold in the parable. But do we build our own little prisons for people when they do stuff that's bothered us? Like, do I build a prison for Adam by, like, giving him the silent treatment if he's annoyed me? Right? Like, okay, well, you're going to go in that little prison until you deserve something else. Like, how do we put one another in jail for these things? See, living in daily forgiveness or unbridled mercy, it's so important, not just for the big, painful to forgive things, but for the little things. It's the daily moments of choosing a different path or a higher road. Why do we not always do this? Well, in the parable, the servant is somehow blind to his own forgiveness, right? He, it causes him to live no differently. He's somehow blind to this enormous debt that he's been set free from. And I think this is why a revelation of our own forgiveness is so critical. But to understand our forgiveness, we have to understand our fallenness, the vastness of our infinite debt. And I think this is increasingly something that we need to be reminded of. Like, we live in a culture of, like, self-assertion and self-promotion. And everyone out there is, like, is kind of, ele- we're all elevating one another. And then you walk in here and I tell you, you are sinful and fallen. And it's like, it's hard to kind of remember that sometimes. But if we don't remember that we are deeply sinful and that we have fallen so far short of God's standards for us on a daily basis, then we miss, we miss the fuel that allows us to forgive each other and have mercy towards one another. Now, to be clear, if you are struggling with shame today, if you are here and struggling to grasp how truly and vastly and completely forgiven you are, let me tell you, you are completely and utterly forgiven today. And take heart in this story. You couldn't in 200,000 years work off the debt. So don't try. Just receive the free gift of forgiveness that is yours. But I want to say, if you're struggling with daily unforgiveness today, then it may be helpful to remember how much God has forgiven in you. We said the amount of debt that the servant in this parable owed was essentially zillions. One person, even nerdier than I, did the calculations on this. So the debt is 10,000 minas. So if 10,000 minas were turned into coins, it would take... 8,600 men, each holding 60-pound bags of coins. If those men lined up in single file, they would form a five-mile line. Jesus is like, you want to know what I forgave in you? Like, imagine this, 8,600 men carrying 60-pound bags of coins lined up for five miles that is what I have forgiven in you. 
And now you're annoyed at your brother-in-law. And you know what? It's petty change. Right? It's pocket change stuff. But the trouble is, is that we forget about the 8,600 men with 60-pound bags of gold lined up for five miles. We forget about that and we get so fixated, don't we? We get so fixated on the pocket change. What do I do when I'm stuck in some minor offense that, that Adam has committed towards me and everything in me is saying, put him in some kind of prison. He deserves it. He would never deserve it, of course. But what do I do in that moment? And honestly, you know, I think more than any marriage toolkit or resource, what I need in that moment, when honestly, all I can think about is myself, is to remember the five-mile lineup that God has forgiven of my selfish deeds and my sinful acts. So that every time my day presents a pocket change moment, I can forgive And this is regardless of Adam in some ways, right? And whether he deserves it or not. It's not what Adam has forgiven in me that dictates my posture. It's what God has forgiven in me. That's the revolution in this story. Jesus didn't wait for me to deserve forgiveness or to feel sorry enough to be worth his mercy. And if I possibly can, I want to be as like him as I can today. So coming into land then, forgiveness is supernatural. Thank goodness. We have said that revenge, vengeance, resentment is the natural human response. You remember Lamech serenading his poor wives, I avenge 77 times. I am Lamech. That is natural. That is Lamech's kingdom. Forgiveness is supernatural. It is Jesus' kingdom. And so every time we enact forgiveness, we are doing this by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you feel overwhelmed that you cannot live this way, that's where the Spirit of God comes in, right? He is our helper. And and he shouldn't just be like on the back burner for those massive emergency moments where huge things happen. Like as we walk daily with the Holy Spirit, we receive his infilling. He is empowering us at all times to live in the way that Jesus has called us to. Forgiveness is so important to the Jesus movement. We can be so clear of that. Forgiveness is so important to Jesus. And so he doesn't leave us on our own to try and do it ourselves. We have a helper. Forgiveness is the new Jesus way of being human. Forgiveness is a daily habit Forgiveness is not about removing safe boundaries. Forgiveness comes from forgiveness. Forgiveness is supernatural. And finally, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Going back to the passage, Jesus says, the place where forgiveness occurs is in your heart. Now, the Jewish world in Jesus' day, it did not divide up thinking and feeling the way that we do today. There isn't actually a Hebrew word for brain, for example. So when Jesus talks about the heart here, he isn't talking about purely an emotional moment or a feeling. He's actually talking about the rational decision-making center of who you are. He's talking about a choice, about an act of will. This is where forgiveness occurs initially. And that choice sometimes becomes a feeling later. 
I'm going to close now with um, a story from Corey Tembum. I wonder if we could get the band up just whilst I do this, and then we will close after that. Is that okay, Jill? I'm aware of time. Um, but I'm also aware that this is a big word, like this is a weighty word. And I want to just give us all a minute, not more, but a minute just to, to sit with this and to allow this to begin to shape us. You guys have worked so hard today, thank you. Um, so if you're, if you're comfortable with this, I want to just invite you to open your heart for a moment and maybe you want to begin to think about, like, is there an area of unforgiveness in my heart? Like, maybe there is a big one. Maybe it's just this, I want to just every day just hold a little bit more lightly um, and just begin to, to bring those things to your mind. I'm going to close with this story and I'm going to pray and the band will sing something beautiful, I'm sure, for us. And, um, and then we will close. After the defeat of Hitler's Nazi regime in World War II, Corrie ten Boom returned to Germany to declare the forgiveness of Jesus. One evening after giving her message, she was approached by a man who identified himself as a former Nazi guard from the concentration camp at Ravensbrück, where she had been held, and where her sister Betsy had died. When Corey saw the man's face, she immediately recognized him as one of the most cruel and vindictive guards from the camp. He reached out his hand and said to her, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, will you forgive me? About this encounter, Corey writes, I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed ours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. But forgiveness is not an emotion, and I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. As she reached out her hand to the former guard, Corey says that something incredible took place. She says, a current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. I have never known love so intensely as I did then, but even then I realized it was not my love. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we have been forgiven 
so much. And we receive that forgiveness from you today with open hands. We say thank you that our debt is gone, that the five mile lineup has been lifted from my shoulders, that you have taken it away and my shame is gone. And I pray right now for anyone in this room who is struggling to accept that forgiveness. Lord Jesus, by your mercy, would you remind us again today that we are forgiven. And Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your power in us to live this new way of being human. We don't want to walk in revenge and resentment. We want to live by unbridled mercy. And so come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.